0: Time magnifies the margin between success and failure. James Clear. Welcome to Retirement Mentorship, your mentor to and through retirement. I'm your host, Freeman Lindy, certified financial planner. Today we examine investor versus investment returns, what the difference is, and why it matters so much. First, the Retirement Mentorship two men tune in the primary points of the podcast in two minutes. Point number one: unfocused attention. We are focused on investment returns rather than investor returns. All headlines, news articles, and investment advice seems to be based around the returns of the market, as measured by the Dow Jones or the S&P, or around the returns of specific companies or mutual funds. Rarely, if ever, do we focus on the returns of the investor, which average about half of the investments the investor invests in. Point number two: unequal equities. The average investor takes home about one half to two thirds of the returns of the investments they invest in. Over the last 30 years, the S&P has averaged an annual return of 10%. The average equity fund investor averaged 5%. That's half. If the average equity investor had invested 100,000 30 years ago, they would have 450,000 now. That same 100000 in the S&P 500, $2 million. Point number three, wrong fixation. The average investor loses money in quote-unquote safe fixed income. Fixed income, collectively bonds, bills, CDs, and cash is often seen as the safe investment. Bond index over the 30 years shows an average return of 6%. Yes, that's even better than the average equity investor. This leads some people to think, would the average investor be better off buying bonds, averaging 6%, than risking it in the market to only get 5 Sounds good. Until you see that the average fixed income investor's 30-year return was just 0.38%. That's less than one half of 1%. Congratulations, your 100000 after 30 years is now worth $112,000. There's a big difference between investor and investment returns, and we are going to discuss it at length here on this episode of the Retirementership Podcast. You have heard of investment returns. You've thought about them. You've asked about them. You've been exposed to endless amounts of information about them. But what about investor returns? When was the last time you heard about those? There's a good chance that the answer to that is either A, the last time we spoke about it, or B, never. And that's my first point. Point number one, unfocused attention. We are focused on investment returns rather than investor returns. We spend too much time and energy focusing on investment and not enough focused on investor. Why? Media and ease, I think. We're constantly bombarded by the media about investment returns. If you watch any news or log on to any of the major news websites, you'll get an instant quote on what the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 is doing that day. Other than daily quotes, you rarely hear about the returns in the general news media, unless, of course, there's an ongoing crisis. Then it's all you hear about. And the financial media is far worse. Carl Richards calls it the financial pornography network. On any given day, thousands of articles and news stories are published about the market and what has happened and what people think is going to happen. You can find articles posted within minutes of each other, which feature financial quote-unquote experts forecasting the opposite outcomes on any given topic. It is a constant slew of information around the market and what its various components have done and might do. The other reason is ease. It's easy to find investment returns. You're choosing your 401k options and you're presented with 30 each with five separate returns over various timeframes. You're curious what the return of the Vanguard's total stock market fund has been over the last X years, so you simply Google it, and there it is. Investment returns are easy to find and easy to calculate. Investor returns are much more difficult to quantify. Investors trade funds, buying and selling. They add money to and pull money from their accounts on both regular and irregular bases. They pay fees and transaction costs. All of this adds up to numbers that are vastly different than the returns of the investments, as we will see. Investment returns are constantly talked about and easy to find. Investor returns are never talked about and hard to determine. But why? As investors, we have absolutely no control over investment returns. We've invested in a company which we have no control over. Or we've invested in an index fund, which follows an index of companies subject to world and local economies, which we have no control over. Or we've invested in a fund actively managed by Harvard graduates with more degrees and letters behind their name than we care to know, and we have zero control over those managers and their actions and a world they have no control over. And here's the final nail. The vast majority of those investment wizards have historically underperformed the general index they're trying to beat after fees. That is, even the experts have not been able to significantly improve investment returns, and there's no guarantee that those who have in the past will do so again. So why are we putting so much focus on investment returns? The obvious answer is that there's an entire investment industry that's trying to get you to invest your money with them. They don't know you as the investor, so all they can do is appeal to potentially superior investment returns. But this is the wrong focus. The focus of the investor should not be on how to increase investment returns, which she has no control over. The focus of the investor should be on how to increase investor returns, which she has absolute control over. What investment philosophy will he believe? What investing principles can she follow? What investing disciplines must he adopt? And what investing processes can she implement? And perhaps most importantly, who is she going to work with that will help her guide her in the adoption and confirmation of a philosophy and principles and hold her capable of following the disciplines and the processes she will need to follow for the rest of her life? The stakes are too high to chance it alone. We will talk about the various aspects of planning and how investors can increase their investor returns throughout this podcast. But for today, we will continue to focus on the differences between them. Rather than focusing on neither specifically, what are those differences in real numbers? Dalbar is an organization that's tracked these differences for decades, using lots of data about the selling and buying of funds and the fees associated with them. They have been able to determine what the return of the average investor is in any given year. Now, this is an average, meaning some perform better, but also some perform worse. Knowing that the average investor return is for each year means they can also determine what has been over multiple years or even multiple decades. They have rolling tallies of the average return of equity investors and fixed income investors going back 30 years. And as we've discussed, it is quite easy to pull investment returns over those periods. The difference is stark. And that brings us to our next item. Point number two, unequal equities. The average investor takes home about one-half to two-thirds of the returns of the investments they invest in. The average equity fund investor's lifetime return is two-thirds to one-half of the investments the investor invests in. Again, one more time. The average equity fund investor, those investing in funds of stocks, has had a real lifetime return between two-thirds to one-half of the returns of those same investments that they have owned. The average equity investor significantly underperforms not only investments in general, but their own investments. All this data is from the 2020 Quantitative Analysis of Investor Behavior by Dalbar. You can purchase the full report on Dalbar's site for $1,500, or you can stay tuned to this podcast. We will reference this report often throughout this podcast and bring you the key points and how they relate to you. For the sake of keeping track while listening, I'll round up or down on certain numbers for the full graph. With the exact numbers, you can visit the full article for this podcast episode at wwwretirementershipcom one, as in the digit one. Unequal equity. So for the last 30 years, ending December 2019, the average equity fund investor has an annualized return of about 5%. Okay, not bad. If you had invested 100,000 30 years ago, your money would be worth 450,000 today. That's more than quadrupled your money without having to earn a dime of it. It's the power of compounding. 30 years at 5% return, 100,000 turns into 450,000. But what about the market? During that same year, the S&P 500 index, which again, you cannot invest in specifically or directly, but you can invest in funds that track it, the S&P 500 index had an annualized return of a hair under 10%. That's twice the return of the average investor. Double. The average investor does 5%, the equity index does 10%. Even with some fees in there, you're still looking around twice the return of the investor. Investment returns trounce investors two to one over 30 years. Let's go back to dollars because our minds aren't really wired to understand compounding percentages intuitively. So we know that 100000 over 30 years at 5% is $450,000 in investor returns. So we'd expect 100000 at 30 years at 10% to be about $900,000, right? Double the return, double the results. Nope. $100,000 invested for 30 years at 10% is $2 million. You should be picturing Dr. Evil from Austin Urban Powers saying $1 million and then double that. $2 million. That's not simply four times our starting amount, which the average investor got, it's 20 times more. 20 times more. The gap in returns between the average equity investor and the equities as an investment on $100,000 over 30 years is $1.5 million. Say that again, the behaviors of the average investor over their lifetime cost them literally millions of dollars. Now, this is historical returns in indexes and investors, and this won't be repeated in the future, but the principle, which has held true over decades, will, I believe, continue to hold true going forward. Carl Richards calls this difference between investor and re- investment returns the behavior gap, and he has a great book on the subject by the same name. Why is behavior the reason? Because if left to themselves, investments do very well. It's only when you insert the investor into the equation that returns diminish. So what are these behaviors that so wreck the average investor's return? There are more many, but there are four in particular that I believe are particularly devastating. I call them the Four Horsemen, and Episode 4 will cover those in detail. Subscribe to the podcast if you want to be alerted when that episode goes live. This is why I believe that the focus on investment returns is so misguided. It distracts investors from what is really important, having their average return and quartering their real dollar return over 30 years. And While there's little to nothing that can be done to improve investment returns, there's a lot that can be done to improve investor returns. We'll cover those throughout the podcast, but I will cover what I call the seven pillars of victory, which will be episode seven. Over 10 years, an investor gets about 70 to 80% of the market. Over 20 years, they get about two thirds, and over 30 years, they get about one half. Time magnifies the margin between success and failure. You can't always tell over a two to three year period when you've been underperforming. It's over long periods, 10, 20, or 30 years, that you begin to see the margin between what you have gotten and what you could have gotten. While the behavior gap is largest over 30 years, I find it interesting that there is no time period where the in- average investor outperformed the market. You can check out the graph at www.retirementmentorship.com/one to see all the differences. There'll be a link in the show notes of this podcast to take you over there on your smartphone. Even over the ten years from twenty ten to twenty nineteen, in one of the greatest bull markets of all time, when you could not have helped but to do well in equities, investor returns lagged investment returns by four percent. Nine and a half versus thirteen and a half percent. One hundred thousand dollars invested over ten years, investor two hundred and fifty five thousand, investments three hundred and eighty five thousand. That's a difference of one hundred and thirty thousand dollars over ten years on one hundred thousand dollars invested. When it comes to equities, the returns are not equal. Investments trounce investors. You may be thinking, okay, that makes sense with how risky stocks are, but what about bonds? Let's leave aside the notion of stocks as quote-unquote risky for now. We'll cover that in a bit in episode two and extensively in a dedicated episode later this season. The question about bonds and will lump in other fixed income investments such as CDs, treasury bills, and the like bring me to the last point of this podcast. And that is point number three, wrong fixation. The average investor loses money in quote-unquote safe fixed income investments. We're often told and thus believe that fixed income investments are quote-unquote safe. Again, we'll cover that in a future episode. We know they are less volatile and produce lower long-term returns. But you should suspect by now that the returns of even fixed income investments cannot be the same as that of the fixed income investor. I had known for years about the behavior gap between investor and investment returns when it comes to equities, but even I was not prepared for what I saw in Dalbar's report. For the 30 years rolling in the report, the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index had averaged 6%. Okay, it's not bad. In fact, it's even better than the investor's return on equity. It should be noted that uh, with interest rates dropping significantly, the 10-year return of the bond index is about half of that. So $100,000 invested over that time comes out to about $600,000. Very respectable, and for significantly lower volatility, perhaps even preferable to equity investor returns of $450,000. We know that investor behavior lowers returns. We don't yet know why, and that will be covered in episode 4, but the data is very clear that it does. So what is the effect of investor behavior on fixed income returns? For the 30 years ending December 2019, the average fixed income investor return was 0.38%. 0.38%. Less than one half of 1%. Congratulations, your $100,000 grew to a whopping $112,000 over 30 years. Meanwhile, inflation pushed what you used to pay $100,000 for to $205,000. The average investor lost $93,000 in real dollars over 30 years investing in quote-unquote safe investments. Let me say that again. As the average investor, you lost $93,000 in real inflation-adjusted dollars over 30 years investing in what are called safe investments. To fixate on the investment in terms of fixed income while ignoring the behaviors of real investors is wrong. We have, in this country, a wrong fixation on fixed income. So what's the point of all this other than to be depressing? My hope is that sharing all this with you, you'd begin to challenge the ideas that you believe about investing. My hope is that we would begin to focus less on investment returns, which no one can control, and begin to focus on investor returns, which are very much controllable. And that's the good news here. We've known for some time that there's little to nothing we can do to improve investment returns. We're at the whims of the global economies and markets, and there's little we can do. But we can do a lot to improve investor returns. And that's what this podcast will focus on. I want to leave you with an action item as we sign off here. One action that you can take as a result of all this right now. The action is this. Subscribe to the podcast. At time of publishing, we have 52 episodes planned for the podcast. Each will be interesting and a little unconventional. We're going to be more ideas in here that challenge what you think and believe, but in a way that can change your life for the better. Episode 2 is called The Principal Problem. We will discuss the principal problem that we are trying to solve for retirement planning. We'll share what it is and what it is not. This message has been described to some as a total paradigm shift. Episode 3 is called Belief Over Knowledge. Why is a topic like that even in a retirement podcast? This topic is not simply an aspect of personal finance. It is the aspect upon which every financial decision you make is based. It's so important that I made an episode three out of 52 planned episodes. As noted earlier, two more episodes are The Four Horsemen, the behavioral mistakes most responsible for the abysmal of investor returns, and the seven pillars that you should build your financial life on to defeat those horsemen. It's going to be an awesome season on the Retire Mentorship Podcast, and I hope you stick around. It's not what we think we know that counts. It's what we believe. This is Freeman Lindy, signing off. This podcast is educational only and is not intended to be investment, legal, or tax advice or recommendations, whether direct or incidental. Again, this is not investment advice. Consult your financial, tax, and legal professionals for specific advice related to your specific situation. Never take investment advice from someone who doesn't know you in your specific situation. All opinions expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the speakers expressing them. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. retirementship is not affiliated with or controlled by any registered investment advisor, broker-dealer, or other financial services company.